All right, fellas, uh, whenever you're ready to go, it's all yours. What's going on, everybody? And welcome in once again to yet another edition of Open Run presented to you by none other than War Media. My name is Gabriel Wilkins, and I'm joined once again with my partner in crime, my fellow co-host, Josh Hicks, man. How you been doing? It's always good to hop on the mic with you, brother. All is well. Hope the same for you. Oh, indeed, indeed. Uh, we got a lot to talk about. We're going to get into some, of course, you know, NBA action, as well as some action on the campus with college basketball season officially underway. No top 25 matchups last week to kick off the opening week of the season, but we got a hell of a lot to talk about with a couple of top 25 matchups set to take place over the next several days or so. But before we get into all of that, Josh, I got to ask you, man, what has stood out to you across the basketball landscape that's impressed you the most over the last week or so? Because there's been a lot of big-time basketball games going down, especially in the NBA, a lot of big-time performances, back-to-back 50-point games, courtesy of Darius Garland and Joel Embiid on the same night, to be exact. It's a lot you can talk about, but what stood out to you the most? Joel Embiid stood out to me the most. And the reason why, it's not just because of his, you know, 59-point performance. The dude had eight assists with seven blocks and 11 rebounds. Yeah. Like you almost like that if that isn't dominance in every aspect and category of the game, I don't know what to tell you. So the fact that Joel Embiid performed not just on the offensive end, but the defensive end as well, at that elite type of play, knowing that you don't have James Harden on the floor with you, that's key. That's key for the Sixers to have on a, for, from a consistency perspective moving forward until James Harden comes back. I'm not saying he has to drop 50 every night. The Sixers need that type of uh, aggressive play on both ends of the floor for them to maintain and get over the hump until James Harden comes back. And that that and, and that performance itself really stood out to me coming from Joel Embiid, which we know he's a great talent, but he's he just he, he reminded us of who he really is when he's when he's really locked in on all 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 into the floor. Yeah, you know you you can't go wrong with Joel Embiid. He was definitely a guy that impressed me, but. Another guy that caught my eye over the last week or so was Shea Gilgis Alexander, man. Yes, sir. Oklahoma City is a team that's similar to Utah, even though they haven't gotten out to as hot of a start as Utah. People thought that they were just going to be a team that just tanked and guys could just coast through, you know, in and out, you know, every night and whoop them by like 20 plus or so. But apparently Shea hasn't gotten that memo. This guy is getting to the bucket at will. It doesn't matter who's defending him. You got to throw a couple guys onto him. And then when you plan to drive, he has that step back jump shot that he could just nail right in your face. And he was doing that at a high volume against the Knicks in Madison Square Garden. I think he put up 31 and 7. I'm not so sure about the numbers, but he definitely had a, a 30 plus point game and had over five assists on an evening. And it didn't matter who they put in front of him. R.J. Barrett, Derrick Rose, Julius Randle, he had it going. Step back, turn around, jump shots, getting to the rim, drawing fouls, getting to the free throw line. And him and Josh Giddy are playing some excellent basketball right now, and they're making life hell on teams. They almost beat the Milwaukee Bucks 
last week. I believe it was on Wednesday night when those two teams squared off last week. That was that was one hell of a performance by Shea Gilgis Alexander. And in my opinion, he's looking like an all-star right now. I don't know how you go against them. That that Western Conference is going to be tough to pick out guards because there's about several of them. And somebody come February is going to get shafted and they're going to feel like they got slighted and they're going to be they're going to be able to take it personally, but you really can't because there's so many guys to choose from. And of course, you know as you brought up, 21. Can you do something for me? Can you put a little <laughs> rig flex for me? 101 points. 101 points in two games. And you follow up a 42-point night against the Hawks with a 59, 11, 8, and 7 line against the Utah Jazz, who have been one of the hottest teams in the league to start the season. He he's slowly elevating back up that MVP race. And this is a guy who's been a runner-up for MVP the last two years. I haven't seen the highlights of that game yet, and I haven't purposely, because I know I'm gonna go back and take the time to watch that game on League Pass before this week it, you know, concludes. But man. And put up 25 in the fourth quarter. Yeah. And they needed every bucket because it was a close game from what I heard. And I, I had the privilege of being at the Nuggets and Bulls game last night. So when that happened, I had I had just walked out the arena and I'm like, yo, what's going on? 59 points. I'm gonna kill you, bro. I'm gonna kill Why? you because you knew I was at that game last night. I was at that game. You last was, but you was too. doing your thing with the media, man. So you, I mean, I understand. I, I was up at the three hundred level. If I was in the hundred level, I damn sure would have talked with you. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure, for sure, for sure. I'm gonna get you. If we're in the building at the same time, we gotta for make sure. something happen. You know, we gotta make something yeah. Happen. But but I know you you was on that hundred level. You know what I'm saying? You had to come up to me because you know how the United Center is. But I I, I did get a ticket last minute, and I, I saw that it. game as well. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But just picking back off of everything you're saying, man. Yeah, that's especially Shea Gilgis-Alexander, you can see that growth where he took that next level of being not just an all-star, but a leader from, uh, from a player capability perspective. That Chris Paul effect is mad real, brother. He learned a lot from Chris Paul at CP3, and now you can see how in his offensive style of play, the aggressiveness from the offensive end, the expansion of the game. He's, and he's also figured out how to play his game and not be rushed. He's always patient yeah. in everything that he does. And he still gets to his sweet spots. He knows exactly where to go. And he knows how to finish on on, on, on the offensive end, but shooting the ball as well as getting to the lane. And honestly, improving on a playmaking perspective as well because he because of the fact that he has young talent around him, that is showing up in a lot of cases. Lou Dort has been shooting the three pretty good, pretty decent this year. Um, you you uh, I forgot I forgot the other uh, rookie's name. Uh, Jalen, uh, I forgot his name. He came from Jalen uh, Williams. Yeah, Jalen Williams. Yeah, he he's came out of the court stroking. So it's like this team, even though they are young, like you said, but they're, they're like the Utah Jazz. They're young, but they're shocking the league in a lot of ways. And SGA has a lot to do playing that Call of Duty Modern Warfare style, sniping these dudes on the offensive end, sniping and manipulating the defense so well that no, there's no answer for him. And it's very interesting because for guys like that in the league, the Kyle Anderson's aiming at times. Even though you're so slow, it looks so slow motion, like he's gliding across the court. <laughs> he still gets to where he got to do when he's and where he's most efficient and he gets the job done. So it's it's a, it's impressive to see that growth and him taking that next level 
to become, like you said, the all-star caliber player that he's playing like right now. And, and yeah, like you said, that Western Conference, man, it's going to get real scary when you're trying to pick up what the all-star reserves are going to be looking like. I don't know if he's going to start, but the reserve options is going to be very, very tough. And, you know, he might be stealing somebody's spot this year. I'll say this. I don't know if he starts or not, but when you're putting up 31.1 points, as I have the numbers up in front of me now, 5.7 assists and 4.4 rebounds, you're shooting over 50% from the field. You're shooting 36% from three-point land. Somebody's fighting jeopardy, especially if this team plays above expectations and does not seek the tank like so many of us thought they would. And just like I was saying earlier with the Utah Jazz in a couple of episodes prior to this, how there are certain organizations that don't know how to tank well, even when they try to tank well. The Oklahoma City Thunder, one of those franchises. If you think about it, I mean, they tried to do it with Chris Paul. It didn't work. Now they were to do it with, with, with Shea, and he's like, no. And then recently his name was in trade rumors and stuff like that. I don't think Sam Presley's going to be seeking to trade him anytime soon. That dude is a building block and a cornerstone. And I, I, I don't know how you how you move on from that. Don't, he already made a mistake getting rid of one MVP guard, and we all know who that guy ended up becoming, and that's James Harden. Mm -hmm. I don't think you want to do that again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, most definitely, man. We're just it's just it's been an impressive week of basketball. And we and the trade part is we just getting started, not even a fourth into the season. So I'm just excited to see where these next games are gonna be looking forward to, man. Cause it's whew, I love it. Oh, indeed. But want to get into the Chicago Bulls, the hometown Chicago Bulls. Oh, then we gotta started. talk about that debacle. No, we, we we got to, man. You know, oh, it started, man. Off, started off started off last week strong with a win to close out a back-to-back -back set against the Toronto Raptors. However, end up losing a tough close game that they sought to come back in and pull out a victory against the New Orleans Pelicans, but fell short. Had a few days off. Thought, you know, maybe that would help them get some practices under their belt and find some chemistry and, and find out what the defensive issues are and rebounding and so forth, get guys fresh. But that wasn't the case. Went up against the Denver Nuggets to close out the weekend. Ended up getting annihilated by 23 points. I believe the final score was 126 to 103. And Michael Porter Jr. came up in here, man, lit him up with a 30 ball, had 31 points, game high on the night. Wasn't even looking to, to pass the ball, but he didn't have to because he was on fire, man. What, what, what were your takeaways and, and thoughts from that game, Josh? I know you was on hand. How's everything going with that with that franchise right now? And most importantly, the players in the locker room after a tough week as the Bulls are now six and eight through the first 14 games on the year. They they knew it was unacceptable. They knew that, you know, that effort that they gave, especially to start off the game, that's that's not what they are. That's not what they do, and that's not what they're going to accept moving forward. And I think the best thing about that scenario is outside of Billy Donovan bringing it up in his press conference, Zach Levine made it known, and he put it on notice. He said it's unacceptable, and he said there's no reason why we should do that, especially you're coming off a three-day layaway. You had three days off, three days, three days between your next game, and you had two practices, and Denver was coming off a seven-game road trip. Yeah. So this is their last road game just before they even supposed to go home. 
and they didn't just come in here and just get just try to just try to win the game. They annihilated the Bulls in every aspect. Michael Porter Jr. had six threes. The Bulls and the Bulls themselves total six threes. <laughs> like Michael Porter Jr. equated what the Bulls were giving as a team. And let's not forget to mention as well, Zach Levine was the only one to add over 20 points. Yeah. He's the only one that over 20 points. DeMar DeRozan didn't have 20 points. Vuce didn't have 20 points. Half of your bench didn't even have, almost didn't have double figures. So where's your production? So it's like, it's, so it's a, it was, a, it's the game that if I was Billy Donovan, and I, you just throw this one out. <laughs> Let's just throw it in, throw it out, use the bathroom, wipe the, wipe the dudes the toilet, the toilet paper real quick, throw it out, because it was so bad to watch how lack of effort, it was a lack of, you know, apathy. And it was like, at the same time, there was no effort being drawn on any of the, either end of the floor. And, you know, at the end of the day, they know better. You know, the Bulls know they got to be better. And they're in positive spirits about that. But at the same time, and that, that ain't no excuse for you to get whacked the way that you did, knowing that this team is coming off that road trip and you had a break, a nice long break to prepare for a matchup for a matchup for them. And there was a prime opportunity for you to smack them in the face. That's the difference between where the Bulls really are at right now from the makeup and chemistry of this team to what made Denver so good and why they're at the top, where they're the top Western Conference team. You can see the dip, you saw the difference right there. I believe you, because Denver is now nine and four through their first 13 games as of this recording. And the thing that impressed me the most with Denver when they faced off against the Bulls was how Nikola Jokic wasn't even looking to score. And he yes. didn't have to. He did a hell of a job getting guys active and involved and seeking to direct and guide the offense like a conductor and getting guys on backdoor cuts, getting guys coming off of pin downs and screens, leading to three-point shots. But the thing that I wasn't pleased with seeing from the Bulls in was a lack of energy to start out games. Like, this has become a, a theme that needs to stop immediately. They've gotten off the starts, or slow starts rather, far too often. And we saw that in the first quarter. And something has to get cleaned up with the defensive rotations because they are a step too slow. Mm -hmm. And I don't understand personally how you lose Michael Porter coming off of screens and cuts when you know he's a shooter and you know Giving him an open three-point shot, that's like a layup, especially with the way he's shooting the basketball right now. Michael Porter has to be at least among the league leaders in three-point field goal percentage. And he's a guy that's ultra-efficient. He doesn't need many shots that have a 30-piece. And you saw that last night. And then once they did close out, they were far too over-aggressive on closeouts, which led to Michael Porter Jr. saying, okay, you're going to be that aggressive on me? I'll just slide right on by you, drive inside the lane. You don't have a helper man there. Easy layup. On top of that, with the offense, I'm noticing still too many times where DeMar is being relied upon to carry the offense. And he had a tough challenge against Denver with Aaron Gordon on him. Mm -hmm. And Aaron Gordon made life hell on him. Those turnaround fadeaways were being contested. And he had a size and length 
that made it troublesome for DeMar to, you know, at least create space. And he, he couldn't back him down the way he would a smaller guard with, with Aaron Gordon. So I thought they came in and just set the tone defensively. But offensively, it was easy work for him because the Bulls weren't on the same page. And what I saw when I was at the game against Denver is a continuation of what I saw when I went to the regular season home finale last year against the Charlotte Hornets. Too many defensive breakdowns. This was a team that had a top 10 defense through the first half of last season. I have yet to see that defense since the All-Star break. I've yet to see it. And I understand that Lonzo Ball is a key piece of this rotation. I understand that Kobe White, who's also hurt, is a key piece to the second unit. And those are guys that are missing. But you have to have a next man up mentality. And you have to have an attitude where if you're on the Bulls roster or bench, say, hey, if those guys aren't here, I got to step up and do my job. If it's not scoring, I need to rebound. If it's not rebound, I need to lock up and play solid defense. Also got to hit shots when I have wide open looks as well. And I can't be passive, such as Nikola Vucevic was a few times last night when he had a couple shots at the top of the key within the mid-range area, but he's turning them down. You have to take those shots. When you see that DeMar is struggling and Zach is not his best, you have to be at your best and step up and be that third option that everyone knows that you can be. And you were also an all-star in Orlando. So even though you may not be the number one dog anymore, you got to know how to play in that role and pick and choose your spots and win a way to be aggressive. And they needed him last night. He just was nowhere to really be found. Yeah, man, you you, you touched on a, on a lot of those, those good points. You know, obviously, when you talk about the energy uh, to start off a game slowly, you know, Billy Donovan said in this press conference, at the end of the day, energy is a choice. You have to choose yep. to have a lot of energy and to play at a high level, play at a, at a high effort type of level. And that equates to, okay, if someone's not doing good, then guess what? You do have to have that next man up mentality. And he knows that that's something that they have to get better at. So to that extent, I would not be surprised as Billy Donovan, which we know he is capable and has a history of doing. Don't be surprised if he shakes these lineups up. Don't be surprised if certain players aren't playing because to, to, to that point, there's a reason why I, he's been real quick to yank Iowa and Patrick Williams off the court as soon as he can when he starts to see things start to slip. And that's something that he's always been, uh, has done this past season, so far this season. So I expect some shakeups in the lineups to take place. But at the same time, it's Michael Porter Jr., brother. That dude don't need, you don't need to tell him not to shoot the ball. He gonna, every exactly. time he punches it, he ain't passing that mug up. It's going <laughs> up and it's, it's going up some way, somehow. The best, the, the crazy part about it is he's actually pretty good at what he does. So he hits those jump shots. And, and, and obviously, yes, that is a huge difference to what the Bulls had to deal with. But, I'll, but to, but to your, your part about DeMar, that is very true that sec, halfway through the second half quarter, throughout the rest of the game, it was very much, all right, DeMar DeRozan go to work. But DeMar deferred a lot in that first quarter it, leading into the second quarter, offensively, he didn't have his first shot attempt until the second quarter. I know. I noticed that, too. Because dare we kill him for actually saying what we want him to do, which is to play within the flow of an offense and not play DeMar Ball hero ball? So I don't even blame DeMar DeRozan, really, for his, his performance because 
be no. honest with you, he did what he's supposed to do. Problem is, no one else showed up. So if no one else was showing up, okay, fine. I, I have no choice but to go to work, even though I wasn't expecting it. Now, no, now when you talk about expectations, yeah, that's not Demar's expectations. He expects to go out and kill every night, and he expects to win. But none of that took place because no one else went along for the ride with him. And that's often been a problem with Demar Hero Ball. Because in Demar Hero Ball, if he's hitting, yay, that's great. But there's still nobody riding along with him. So, yeah. so if there's no one riding with him, now you're in a situation where, lo and behold, like, like Sunday, he gets cold. He can't hit a jump shot. Bulls are screwed because your main reliable source is nowhere to be found. And you weren't prepared enough to have that next man mentality and step up in the way that you need to step up to stop, to nip those things in the bud. And that's something that the Bulls have to get over. And like you said, be better at down the stretch with these games because at the end of the day, schedule's not getting any easier. They play the New Orleans Pelicans on Wednesday. We're recording this on a Monday. They play the Pelicans on Wednesday. And knowing that's a team and a game, the last time they played, the Bulls should have won. But at the end of the day, Pelican superstars came out the mug and said, yo, we got this. And the Bulls superstars struggled. When they didn't step up when they needed to the most. You have another prime opportunity to do that at the Smoothie King Arena in New Orleans. I want to see if, they, if, they gonna, if it's going to be the same script or are they going to flip it, especially as they got their butts whipped by the Denver Nuggets and have a wake-up call in the way that they did. Yeah, the, the Bulls face off against the Pelicans on Wednesday night, and they close out the week with only two games at home at the United Center against Paulo Bancaro, Franz Wagner, Bo Bo, and the Orlando Magic. That's a team that's also been pretty hot as of late. They beat Dallas last week as well as Phoenix, albeit Phoenix was without Chris Paul for that game. Devin Booker was still on the floor, and DeAndre Aiden as well, who had just recently returned from injury. They, they beat them by double digits rather impressively without Paulo Bancaro in both of those matchups. So they've been playing some stellar basketball. But going moving with your, to your point, I think DeMar really wasn't aggressive because of foul trouble. He got an early foul trouble. And when you pick up two quick fouls like that, you kind of are a little bit apprehensive. And then, two, he had to figure out a way to get free from Aaron Gordon. Aaron Gordon's defense was superb on DeMar. He wasn't giving up too much airspace at all. And he, he did a good job of not fouling. But I knew once Michael Porter Jr. got hot early, it was going to be hard to contain him. And like I said, he scored 31 points on only 16 shots. He shot 11 of 16 from the field, six of nine from three-point range. That percentage right there is almost good enough to pass a test in college. So if, if he's <laughs> shooting that well, you 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 in for a long night. And then just looking at the numbers as a team, Denver was 13 of 27 from beyond the arc. The Bulls made only six of 22 of their looks, 27% from beyond the arc. It's a make or miss lead. If your guys aren't going to make those threes, especially the ones that they get when they're wide open, Io had a couple last night on the wing and in the corner that he just couldn't hit. That's the difference between a W and an L most nights. And the turnovers were costly as well. Bulls had way too many turnovers. They finished with 18 turnovers on the night. That's a huge issue. Mm -hmm. And if I'm not mistaken, the Bulls are 24th in offensive rating as of this recording as well, entering week five of the season. 
that's that's kind of telling considering that you got Billy Donovan who's supposed to be an offensive genius. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah. But moving away from the hardwood on the NBA to the campus life, college basketball season, as we said, just recently kicked off. DJ Wagner, the number one player in the class of 2023, guard, son of Dewan Wagner, former NBA player in Memphis standout, has decided to take his talents to Kentucky, picking the Wildcats over Louisville who recently had hired his grandfather, Milt Wagner, to be the director of player development over there under Kenny Payne, who just recently got the head coaching job with the Cardinals. His family had extensive ties to that program with his grandfather having played there prior to going to the NBA and winning a championship with Magic Johnson and the Lakers in the late 80s. If Wagner is able to make it to the pros, he would be the third-generation member of the Wagner family to make it to the NBA with his father, Dewan Sr., and his grandfather, Milt, who played and had a, a, set, a career for several seasons in the NBA. So that, that was a big-time story. Shout-out also to Pedro Stoyakovich's son, who just recently committed yeah. to Stanford. Yeah. A two-guard, could really shoot the ball like his dad, but a little bit different. Got a game off the dribble four-star recruit. I noticed that as well. But I, I want to get into some of these top 25 matchups. By the time that this episode releases, the Champions Classic will have been concluded is you have a top 10 matchup between Kansas and Duke in that one, as well as Kentucky and Michigan State. But the two top 25 matchups on the college basketball docket this weekend outside of a big-time top five one, the two will be going down in Vegas. You got number 18, Virginia, versus number five, Baylor. In number 23, Illinois, the fighting Illini, taking on the UCLA Bruins, ranked number eight in the country, led by a Chicago native, Amari Bailey, who is a product of California, Sierra Canyon. But before, you know, he went out there, you all know him as the guy that was at Skinner West and they're going to grammar school scene, lighting it up. They are all set to headline the main event out in Las Vegas at the T-Mobile Arena on Friday night. The winners of the following matchups will face off against each other for the championship in the 14th tournament, which will take place on Sunday afternoon at 2 p.m. Central Time on ESPN. Before we get into the top five matchup of the week that I think everybody in college basketball will have their eyes on, and that, that'll feature two blue bloods, and we'll get, in that, get into that in a moment, rather. Which players do you believe we should have our eyes on in the following matchups, starting out first with Virginia at Baylor? Ooh, man, that's a good question. I must admit, um, I didn't get around too much college basketball as much as I probably should have. Uh, I was too busy. It's not as popular as it once used to be. <laughs> no, no, no. It's not. And I was definitely more on the NBA beat, um, more on the NBA, sure. NBA beat nowadays. But what I will say is I'm intrigued by the fact that Virginia and Baylor are two programs that have always been consistent when it comes to regular season performance and how it leads to tournament performance before they actually reach the NCAA March Madness tournament. Um, the, those two programs are known to be dominant and, ex, and ex, excellent off of uh, platforms per se, all the way up until those big moments in the March Madness tournament. When they get there, it's always for the most part they have deep runs, but it's also very much hit or miss. Over the when you talk about over the past few years, 
Virginia has always found their way somehow to the, you know, elite eights, sometimes the final fours. And the one time they did break through with DeAndre Hunter being, Hunter being there to win mm-hmm. that one championship. And then shortly after that, you have Baylor coming through through the ranks and they won their, their championship, um, you know, led by, uh, you know, led Davion by Goldberg Mitchell and Davion Mitchell enough. So I can't, I'm not going to say or speak on the player's perspective because, you know, that's not in my book right now. However, I what I will say is the history between both of those programs playing against each other on this type of a stage, we might be looking at what that rematch might be come tournament time, ter- tournament time in March Madness. And I'm going to be really intrigued to see how this game plays out now and if they make, if they somehow reach reach around and come back again in the tournament, how much different they're going to be during those primetime lights. Because at the end of the day, this is going to be a competitive game based on the fact that Coach Drew, because both, both the teams are long, they're lengthy, and they play very disciplined basketball. So I'm just, I know it's going to be a good game to watch. But I want to see how this game plays out now and how it compares to what we might see down the line during March Madness time and if the and if and see what the difference is going to be from that point on. Well, one player I give you, you know, just to keep it short and sweet, that you should have your eyes on in that Virginia Baylor matchup is a true freshman by the name of Keontae George. He's 19 years old. He's a six foot four guard out of Louisville, Texas. Partook in the McDonald's All American game that took place here at Wintrust Arena this past spring. Was also in the Jordan Brand Classic. Went to IMG Academy with Jarris Walker, another guy who could be a future lottery pick who committed to Houston and is a freshman at Houston, just had a 20-plus point game against St. Joseph in a win for them, top five program in the country. One thing I like about Keontae George, though, is that he can score with the best of them, bro. And he's a guy that you're going to likely see get selected in the lottery of the 2023 draft as well. I know Davion Mitchell, as we mentioned, was a guy that dazzled a lot of people in Waco, Texas, on the way to a national championship. To me, Keontae George has a chance to be the best guard that Scott Drew has ever had. He's already the highest-ranked recruit. One thing that impresses me the most with this guy, man, he can do damage off or on the ball. And he has superb body control to finish, be it in the lane or even on a perimeter with three, four-point plays or whatever. He reminds me a lot of Bradley Beal and even has a little bit of remnants of Donovan Mitchell in his game. If I had to compare him to a couple of NBA players, and like I say, he can finish off the bounce or as a cutter off the ball. He's also one hell of a three-point shooter, man. Like you got to catch a shoot look with this guy. Hey, you might you can count it. He has a very smooth stroke and he has NBA range as well. You know, because it was a couple shots he was taking, just looking at the highlight reels of him, where you like, man, that's not high school range. That could have counted for like four or even five points from where he was pulling up from. I really like his game a lot. I think if he shows that he can be just as good of a playmaker as he can as a scorer and find a way to create for other players on his on the team, such as Adam Flagler's backcourt running mate and others, he's going to elevate up the draft board. If it wasn't for guys like Victor Wimbenyama and Scoot Henderson, you talk about a guy who might be considered as one of the upper echelon guys in this year's draft class. It still can be, especially if he goes on a run with Baylor. But to me, that's the player you got to watch out for. He just recently had a 20-point game against Norfolk State. 
and he played mostly off the ball. And then in the season opener, he had like 13 points and seven assists where he was really more so on the ball and, and setting up other guys for open three-pointers and, and cuts inside the rim. I think that's a guy that you, you really got to keep your eye on, man. And even though he's a freshman, he's going to play with a, a level of poise that'll make you think he's an upperclassman. He's very mature, and he he's someone that I would not be shocked if he was to get, go within the top five of the draft. Most of the mock boards have him within the top ten. He's originally from Louisville, Texas, but he went to school at IMG Academy, which is in Bradenton, Florida. That's a guy that you definitely, definitely got to keep your eyes on as he is among the top of the top um, when you consider the guards in that class of 2022 and coming in for 2023 into the NBA. Okay. That's 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 something I'm definitely gonna be paying attention to. Um from the yeah, I'm definitely gonna try to watch that game and you know get as much. Uh, insight on that one, so make sure you have, make sure you have your phone ready. But um, as but this next game you you know that we talked about when you talk about Illinois UCLA, I'm a, as journalists we love storylines, we love headlines for sure. So the headlines of having Chicago's own Mari Bailey playing against the hometown, you know, big big the big college of the hometown of U of I. Especially, you know, coming off of back-to-back Big Ten championships, uh, that's that's something I'm going to be paying attention to, and I want to see how Mario Bailey's game is going to uh going to play when it comes to U of I's defense. Because if if anything about U of I, yeah, they had a nice offense because Iowa was leading the movement as well as Kofi uh, Coburn. But at the end of the day, they were a defensive-minded team. Brad Underwood made sure that that defense was always on point, and Amari Bailey. We know he's a gift, a hell of a talent offensively, but I want to see how he matches up against that perimeter defense of U of I, which we know uh, they are very capable of shutting down the best of the best. So I'm de- so that's definitely something I'm going to see um, and pay attention to when it comes to that specific mentor, ma- matchup or storyline with that game. But to, to add to your point on Amari Bailey, that's, that's definitely going to be a matchup to watch going up against his hometown program, as you alluded to. The Illinois fighting Illini, even though they're in Champaign, that's always been the preeminent program across the Chicagoland area that all of us grew up following and we still follow, you know, locally. But when you talk about Illinois' defense, I got a player who I think is going to help elevate that defense to another level for everybody to watch out for, and that's Ty Rogers, a guy who is originally from Saginaw, Michigan, but starred in his senior season at Thornton, Alan Harvey, who was led by Ty Streets, is the head coach there at that program. He also played under Ty Streets for Main Streets on the AAU circuit. 6'6", 200-pound wing, who is a versatile playmaker, man. Can defend multiple positions on the floor. Can also lead your offense, direct it, guide it. Think about a guy like Draymond Green with Miles Bridges' athleticism. He's a stat sheet stuffer. Is Dick Vitale and, and then we'll say on ESPN. He's a guy who is a high-impact player, and even though he's undersized, he has a lot of girth and muscle to where you're not going to be able to move him. And I think a lot of guys in the Big Ten are going to have some trouble with him. And that's a player who, if Brad Underwood continues to recruit at the level in which he has, he can build his program around, as well as Sky Clark, the five-star point guard, is another guy that you have to watch out for as well. This Illinois team has a, a, a lot of talent. Matt Mayer, 
Baylor transfer who captured a national championship with Baylor a couple of years ago, besides Davion Mitchell and Jared Butler and those guys. Adam Flagler was also a part of that program at the time as well, who's a senior guard next to Keontae George at Baylor this season. I, I really like what Illinois is doing, but Amari Bailey is also a player to watch in his own right. You know, five-star recruit, a guy that can get it in the mid-range, post smaller guards up, about six foot five, long, lanky. He really makes his mark in the mid-range area, but also defensively as well when it comes to shutting down opposing guards. Him and Tiger Campbell in that backcourt form a nice one-two punch for UCLA under Mick Cronin. But I want to move on to the big-time matchup between the Blue Bloods, number four, Kentucky, versus number two, Gonzaga, in Spokane. They're going to square off for the first of six matchups set to take place over the next six years. As Coach Cal and Mark Few recently reached an agreement during the offseason between the two programs to meet up over their time span, starting this Sunday evening at 6.30 p.m. Central Time on ESPN. One player... I know I'm going to have my eye on is a guy that I had the privilege of covering when he's in high school, Antonio Reeves. He was the first player in Illinois State's program in the last 20 years to average at least 20 points or more in a season, which he did his junior year before transferring over to Kentucky. Six foot five senior guard can light it up. He was the best shooter in the state as a sophomore, in my opinion, when he was at Kenwood. Transferred, played in Shadow Mountain under Mike Bibby for a year before coming back home and closing up his high school career at Simeon. This guy's a real humble kid. He's all about his work um, and business. Used to get up a thousand shots a day. I remember when I went over his house and interviewed him as soon as he was getting done with the interview, he was like, hey, I'm going to train. And he recently had an incredible debut against Howard where he poured in over 20 points. And I think he hit about six triples. I think he set a record for, for most three-pointers in a Kentucky debut by transfer. So that's a guy that people really need to have their eyes on. He's a guard, but he can play a little bit of forward because he's long and lanky when Cal likes to run those three-guard lineups. I think that's a player who, if he has a big-time year for the Wildcats, could potentially sneak on a lot of draft boards Form, he, he was named second team all Missouri Valley Conference last year. He he struck when the iron was hot, had a lot of offers. DePaul offered him, but Kentucky was the biggest one, and Calipari was able to swoop him last minute. Yeah, that's, that's a very good player um, that, I, that I've heard about. And, you know, I'm, okay. I'm, I'm looking – I'm excited to see, you know, what he does in that game. I'm going to go on the opposite side and go with, honestly, the main guy that everybody know about. I got to see what Drew Timmy going to do, baby. Yeah. Ooh, <laughs> old I mean, school big. <laughs> got to see Drew with the old school headband and, you know, and, and him coming to this game because could have went pro, decided not to go pro, stay back and get the NAL, NIL money, which I don't blame him, my brother. I don't blame you. But at the same time, for me, you could tell this year he's like he's on a vengeance tour because past – Three years he's been there. Gonzaga either was supposed to win it all and they failed or they were not highly considered to be one of those top programs to go all the way. They go further than expected but still don't get to the mountaintop. He needs to, He's someone that, you know, after going through all those up and downs, I know 
he's going to want to not just go to the mountaintop but get the Ten Commandments to bring down back to the Gonzaga, right? So because of that, this is the, this is his make it or break a year coming out as a senior. I want to see how he plays continues to ball against the best of the best. And what other way to do it than to go against someone in Kentucky, you know, with Coach Calipari, who is known for getting the best of the best. I'm excited to see how that goes. And I want to see how his skill set compares to the bigs that Kentucky does have. Yeah, absolutely. Gonzaga, you know, they they had a number one overall seed last year. They were led by the play of Chet Holmgren and Drew Timmy. I believe they got knocked out in the Sweet 16 last year mm-hmm. or Elite Eight round. Like they 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 were they were they were really projected to take the national championship in the eyes of most experts, but they fell short after falling short in the national championship game a season prior with an undefeated record on the line that came to a halt against Baylor when they had Corey Kispert and Jalen Suggs, who are now in the NBA with the Washington Wizards and Orlando Magic, respectively. But, yeah, Drew Timmy is a guy, he's an old-school big. He played with his back to the basket. Mm-hmm. And in the NBA game, that's not as popular as it once used to be. But if he was coming out in a different time, this dude would be a, a, a box office guy. Like, he would be a, a top draft pick. I think he will get drafted because he comes from a winning program and he's a player with a winning pedigree. He can do all the little things that impact the game that don't always show up on the stat sheet as great as he is statistically. Rim protector, solid rebounder, just overall one hell of a fundamental player. But before we move away from college basketball, is there going to be a ton of draft prospects that we get a chance to see over the course of this season from Jarris Walker, the forward from Houston, Nick Smith, the guard out of Arkansas, Imani Bates, man. This man. dude <laughs> came back onto the scene in his official Eastern Michigan debut. He's been through hell and back, you know, caught two felony charges for possession of a gun, but found a way to get those charges overturned after, you know, that news came out, he was suspended. But once he got the charges overturned, he was reinstated back into the program, set out the season opener, but came back and made his debut against number 22 Michigan the other night. And he caught everybody's attention. He had 30 points, his seven of his first nine shots on the night. And I believe he finished the night with, if I have my stats correctly, 12 for 19 from the floor, almost helped Eastern Michigan knock off the Wolverines as they lost by a score of 88 to 83. What was your thoughts on, on Imani's performance, bro? He he looked like the Imani of old. You know, that wasn't the Imani that we got a chance to see in Memphis. We saw certain flashes, but Penny had him playing more on the ball as he was seeking to learn how to become a point guard. I think a lot of people fail to realize that this guy went to college as a 17-year-old, and now he's 18. And because of everything that's transpired, you know, people have kind of wanted to label him as a bust, but he's not even in the league yet. What was your thoughts on his on his debut for, for Eastern Michigan, man? I, I think he sent a, a message that was loud and clear. Oh, Coach Stubbs, I wish you had him. Oh, I wish Coach Stubbs had him. We was in the running, man. We was yeah, in the was, running. We, we, we was right there. He was in the running for DePaul. We was in he that final three. He did over DePaul. Yeah, DePaul did come to the we, final we three. 
Oh, that bottom three, boy, and I wish we had him. Yeah, I wish we had him, boy, because woo wee, that he, he was nasty. He was nasty, and the way he he he, he had Tupac song playing in the background. How do you want it? How does it feel? How do you want it, baby? You want it in your car? You want the step back three? You want me to go to the lane? You want me to do the floater over you? You want me to shoot the mid range and I? So ball, let me drop these buckets for you. And then after the game, how does it feel, baby? How does it feel to be me to watch me drop 30 on you? Like he just made it look so effortlessly. And the fact that he what what got me was his range from his bag perspective. Obviously, we knew he was skilled. We knew he had the talent to do all those things. But when you put him in isolation mode, there's a reason why you look at this kid. And people are like, oh dang, he's like a young, he's like a smaller Kevin Durant. There's a reason why people put those things, put those comparisons out there. He showed you why in that game. And he also showed you that honestly, matchups, it, it, when you talk about it's all about situations, right? Memphis oh, yeah. wasn't a situation for him. Sometimes you have to go to a school that may not be known for like that, just to make sure you get the opportunity to really showcase your full skill set. That's one of the things that I think he uh, he learned playing in Memphis. Yeah, he didn't play a lot at Memphis due to injury, things of that sort. But when he was playing, even though he wasn't his full self, he couldn't perform the way that he wanted with the lineup that Memphis had. And I think him going to Eastern Michigan, a better situation where he could be more of the focal point of the offense, you saw him release himself and say, yo, I'm, a, I'm here, I'm arrived. This is who I really am. And that's something special to watch. Now, obviously, I just wish I was able to see it in, in the royal bread. And, but, you know, I can't even fault him, man. I can't even fault him for that. The dude was balling. The dude was balling. It really reminded me of what it was like last season watching Javon Freeman Liberty drop 25 and have the overall game that he, did, that he does, or he did when he was playing at DePaul. That's what watching that game reminded me of. So much excitement, so much thrill. So much, you know, so much aggressive isolation ball, and not just isolation ball, but seeing him execute those plays and the at the efficient rate that he did. It was just a it was just a beautiful talent to see. That now college basketball wise, that's the one game I did see. You know, that's I the one game I did, did. see. I think everybody did. It, yeah, it was one of those was games. It. Yeah, it, it was one of those games, bro, where you had to pause and stop what you were doing. Yeah. to witness it once you saw it become a trending topic across Twitter. Honest to God. I saw the highlights many times over the course of last weekend following the aftermath of the game. And what I saw was a guy who was playing in a manner akin to the way he played when he was in high school. And that was off of the ball. And when Imani Bates is off of the ball, he could get it with anybody he can get into any act he doesn't need too many dribbles too many moves to get his shot off mm -hmm. and off the ball coming off screens firing then once he got hot took a couple heat check shots but they were within the flow of the offense and once he got pumped up i think we saw a version of Imani base that we had been missing for the first time in at least the last couple of years. He looked like a guy who knew that this game had nearly been taken away from me. 
following my incident with the gun charge, which were dropped. And now I've been reinstated into this program and I have new life. And when he was, after he hit that three and he declared it, you know, when they put the camera on him, this is my city. I I, I was like, yeah, it, it's on now. I, I really thought that they were going to beat Michigan. They had Michigan on the ropes. And everybody talks about Imani Bates. Yeah, everybody talks about Imani Bates, but Noah Farrakhan had a hell of a game as well, who's a, another big-time prize transfer that they got recently out of Eastern Carolina, or East Carolina, excuse me, about a year ago. And he he put up double figures and had a hell of a performance, was hitting some tough shots around the lane and so forth. They were giving him a run for their money, but Imani was doing some things even similar to what he was doing in Memphis, like scoring off a of backdoor cuts when he had that alley-oop. And you know was dancing a little bit. He 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 let loose in a way that I have not seen him do on a college basketball stage. And I hope that the best is yet to come for him because if it is, George Gervin better be concerned being a former Eastern Michigan alum about some of the records in his record book, at least for single season records that he is. Because I think Imani gonna kick in the door, and I think if. Eastern Michigan makes a run in the MAC with the talent that they have, and Imani has familiarity playing with a lot of these guys, being from Ypsilanti, which is where Eastern Michigan is, and that's why he decided to go to Eastern Michigan based on what was reported and said through various backdoor channels and stuff. Man, like they 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 can give some teams come March Madness time and run for their money if they get past round one. I'm just saying, I, I I don't know what who who the favorite is in the MAC, but I think they got the MAC's attention just as much as they did the nation's attention. I I believe that Eastern Michigan was projected to finish seventh in the MAC. I don't know how they came to that conclusion, knowing that Imani Bates is still an 18 year old kid who was considered by many to be the best prospect in all of prep basketball, regardless of class, prior to him going to Memphis. I really hope that we give this guy a chance, but I, I, I'm not even thinking about his draft prospects right now. I'm just glad to see that the guy was back on a stage that he belonged on and was performing under the big-time lights the way that I think many of us believed and knew that he could always do. Granted, he got some tournament action with Memphis a little bit, but this was different. This was very much different. And, man, I I saw a professional score out there playing with boys. And if he keeps that up, I think the future is still bright. You heard what Juwan Howard said in the post-game press conference. He still has a chance to do some excellent things in the game of basketball. That was another guy who missed out on Imani Bates and tried to recruit him. I know he had to be cringing just as much as you were, Josh, that he not doing it in DePaul colors. He, it was a lot of schools that still wanted him in spite of what happened in Memphis. We both know that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, although Juwan Howard, I don't know if he has to cringe too much considering he's coaching at his alma mater and he got the crispiest lining that any old dude coach can ever have. But at the end of the day, you know, yeah, I cringe too because, like you said, when you're that close to getting that elite of a talent, it don't matter where you go. You just put him in the right situation, a scenario on the court, dude's going to shine. And Imani Bates, like you, and like you said, I think having that humbling experience, knowing that 
you know, this game really could have been taken away from me, especially if that's your calling card. Like that's all you're banking on. And, you know, being able to have to be reinstated in the way that he was. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that changed them to a point where you saw the amount of base that we did, that we did, and we known him from over these past couple of years. So I'm excited. Like I said, I'm excited to see him on the court. I can't wait to see what he does. And yeah, I do hope he makes the March Madness tournament because he's gonna make it. He's he's gonna make the game that much more fun to watch, man. Because he's a special talent, and I just look forward to seeing what he has to do. One hundred percent. But I want to segue away from the campus in the college basketball scene back to the NBA, where me and Josh gonna play a game real quick. True for trash. Let me know whether or not you think the following rumors that have been reported over the last week are valid or not. And, you know, state your reason why. We're going to start off in the Motor City in Detroit with Bojan Bogdanovic. According to sources, 33-year-old player, an eight-year veteran who was traded to the Pistons from the Jazz prior to the start of training camp has recently been on the radar of the Los Angeles Lakers dating back to this summer, as well as the Phoenix Suns. According to Yahoo's senior NBA reporter, Jake Fisher, he inked a two-year $39.1 million extension with the Pistons prior to the end of last month, keeping them under contract until the 2024-25 season. Bogdanovich is currently averaging a career-high 20.3 points per game and shooting 43% from downtown on nearly seven attempts per contest from long range through his first 14 games in Detroit. I'm just going to be straight up with you. Do you believe that Bojan Bogdanovich is on the move? Is it true or is it trash? Trash until the trade deadline. I don't think they're really <laughs> trying to, I don't think they really are trying to trade him right now especially since you just signed a man to a two-year extension with worth $40 million. Um, I don't think, I think, I think that if they knew he wasn't trying to stay or wasn't willing to stay at least another year or two, they wouldn't have gave him that deal. However, um, Hey, money does talk in different ways and you never know what the way to piss him down the line, or maybe, maybe he's not trying to move, but what if some, a team like the Lakers comes through and offers them a deal that's like, Hey, can't pass this up if you're talking about getting good talent back, considering that the Pistons are in a rebuild type of stage. What well, you may not want to pass that up. So, and I think eventually down the line, there's going to be some team that's going to make an offer to them that even though they want him to stay, and maybe he even wants to stay, I think they eventually going to pull the trigger because the current state where the Pistons are right now does not equate to the caliber talent and where he should be playing. We're talking about what he brings to the table from an offensive defense perspective for contenders and i do believe contenders are going to be calling and he may not he may not want to go but detroit everybody said that, everybody said they can't be bought until you put the money on the table and you realize all oh, he can be bought <laughs> you know the same with the same way with this he may not want to get traded or anything but if you're talking about a, a team that may be in a move looking for maybe willing to trade some draft picks for some shooting aka that's you know that's, that's in the top of the league you know maybe Maybe, I don't know, maybe another Golden State. I don't know. I'm just saying, you know, something that they might be willing to put some on the table and they need some extra reinforcements on the wing. I, I'll go over there, you know, so I don't know. You know I, what? I, I don't, I don't, 
You know what? I, I didn't think about Golden State, but that's another conversation for another day. But Golden State does have a piece that could be enticing to a small market in Detroit. I don't think I have to say his name. I'm just going to say he's an all-star player, and I'm going to leave it at that. Actually, two. One of them is from Michigan. I'll just leave it at that, though. Do yeah. I believe that Bojan Bogdanovic is on the move? I'm going to say truth. And I'm going to tell you why. Even though he signed a two-year $39.1 million extension, got to think about it like this. If he did not sign that contract, he would have been set to enter free agency after this season, which would have forced Detroit's hand in regards to moving him. They would have had to move him as an expiring immediately. Now, it buys them time to move him, but it also makes him a more enticing commodity. Because if I'm a team like the Phoenix Suns, and I know that I have to find a way to get rid of Jay Crowder after the situation that's unfolded down in the desert prior to the start of this season, and Cam Johnson just recently went down, tear his meniscus, and he's out for an indefinite period of time, Bojan Bogdanovic is mighty attractive to me. Matter of fact, he's more attractive than I would say Ben Gordon is because I know I have him on lock for the next year and a half at least if I get him prior to the conclusion of this year's trade deadline. So I think that contract actually makes him a hot commodity. I could also see, though, why Detroit might want to hold on to him. They talk a lot about how he's been a vital presence not only on the floor with his contributions, from helping space the floor with his ability to shoot, putting the ball on the deck and scoring but his, in his defense, but being a, a mentor to guys like Kay Cunningham, Killian Hayes, Sadiq Bay, Isaiah Stewart, and so forth, pointing out a lot of things that happen on the floor as they go on, whether he's out on the floor or whether he's on the bench. And they said that they really appreciate his leadership in the locker room. And, you know, Dwayne Casey has attested to that, as well as Troy Weaver, the general manager of the Pistons, I understand that they are three and 11 and that they are in a rebuilding mode and they can use his services because they have proven to help keep them in a lot of games, even though they've lost a lot of games, but that contract, if I'm a, if I'm a general manager, I'm saying, Hey, I don't have to worry about him opting out. Like all I have is a year and a half with that. I'm, I, yeah, I, I would consider that. I, I would consider that. And Phoenix is a team that even though they have winged up with Macau Bridges, getting the Bojan Bogdanovich over there with Chris Paul and Devin Booker will provide them with one hell of a third option. And not only one hell of a third option, but one of the top foursomes in the league when you put him with Macau Bridges in there and DeAndre A, that'd be one hell of a starting lineup, I'll tell you that much. Yeah, yeah, I, I, that definitely is definitely an enticing uh, situation to to look out for. Um, I just don't know if Detroit, even though yeah, like I said they're three and eleven, I just don't know if they're really willing to go that far into trading him because of the fact, like you mentioned, he's such a valuable asset on and off the floor for this young team. Um, I kind of look at it like a Thaddeus Young type of situation when he was here in Chicago. There yeah. are plenty of times where. You know, you, the Bulls traded him, 
um, you know, to get good quality pieces back from 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 other teams that were actually inquiring about his services. But he was so valuable to this Bulls franchise that they just they 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 was willing to just let him let 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 him stay and bring the impact that he did on both ends of the floor until and let him walk. So I'm not saying that those two from a those two from a player's perspective equate each other. I'm not saying that. What right. I am saying is there is some type of similar situations when it comes to deciding if this really worth moving this person right now, considering what he is feeling from a void perspective on, on this roster, even though we're not winning. Um, and that sounds like he's embracing. And it seems like, you know, Detroit is willing to embrace until, you know, like you said, the trade deadline, some teams are going to offer him something that they probably didn't expect or want at that present moment. I think they will be end up getting rid of him. It's just not right now. Yeah. I mean, I see both sides of the spectrum. But when you're a rebuilding team, I will say this. If a contender offers you a draft pick or two as compensation, that'll be a tough deal to pass up, especially if they're willing to offer you first-round draft picks. I think that could be just enticing enough for Troy Weaver to consider if it doesn't happen this year, I would definitely keep my eye on it going forward into next season for damn sure. And that's why I say it's true. But I understand why you can see it as trash. But, but as of right now, I'm going to say true because I'm looking not only at the now, but at the later. But I'll move on because I want to get into another big man who we recently talked about Joel and B, but Miles Turner of the Indiana Pacers. Mm. It was an article that came out at the top of this week from Greg Swartz of Bleacher Report titled Five Shocking Trades That Could Happen Sooner Than Later. One of the trades that he had involved Turner being moved by the Indiana Pacers to the Jazz for Taylor Horton Tucker, Walker Kessler, the rookie big man that they just recently drafted out of Auburn, and Rudy Gay with a 2023 first-round pick that is lottery protected. Utah was the first team this season to reach 10 wins in the Western Conference. They sit among the top five in the Western Conference playoff picture as of this recording. We never would have expected for the Utah Jazz to be buyers at the trade deadline, would we? And do you think that they will? Are you saying truth on that? Are you saying trash? Because I don't think we can look at Utah in the same boat as we once did. Even if they were to tank, the odds of getting the top two pick looking very slim right now in Salt Lake City. Danny Ainge got a reason to be concerned about the plan because it's not going to court the plan. <laughs> yeah, I could definitely see that. Um, but I'm going to say trash because my, I'm, I'm going to say trash in this regard. Okay. Miles Turner isn't the person they should be going after. There's other options out there that, quite frankly, the team itself is doing well in that department. You got another big man out there that's thriving in Lori Marketing. You know, you have reinforcements in that big man department that are doing justice for you, considering your circumstance as far as what you thought was going to happen versus what the reality is. So either way, you're in like a win-win situation with what you already have. Now, 
obviously that's going to change when you talk about other players like Jordan Clarkson, Rudy Gay, you know, Mike Conley, like those guys. Yeah, those are people that you will have to eventually, you know, wean off the team. Already made it heading toward a rebuilding stage. But Miles Turner, as a veteran guy, with what he brings to the table, doesn't need to not does not need to go to a rebuilding team. Otherwise, he should just stay where he's at. So I just don't see Miles Turner going there. I do think Utah's gonna make some moves. Don't get it twisted. They got some oh, they got the reinforcements to, to get rid of. But I'm saying trash because it's not gonna be Miles Turner. I think it's gonna be somebody else. But okay. not Miles Turner. This one had me thinking. I never would have thought that Miles Turner would be considered as the Rudy Gobert replacement. And even without Rudy Gobert, the Jazz are among the top of the top among teams defensively. I believe they're in the top 10 in defensive rating. If they aren't right, if they aren't right now, I know that they have been through at least majority of the year thus far. I, I I'm gonna say trash. I, I, only because I'm with you. I, I just can't see them going after Miles Turner. Walker Kessler has provided them with some incredible minutes off of the bench, particularly doing exactly what Miles Turner has been doing, and that's blocking shots. And I believe once he tightens up his three-point shot, he's eventually going to work his way into becoming the starting five next to marketing in Vanderbilt in Utah's front court. I don't understand why you would give him up. And I really don't even understand why Indiana would want to make that move when they already have a young big man in Isaiah J Jackson who's been providing them with stellar menaces of late. So I think that they will be buyers at the deadline. But in regards to Miles Turner going to Utah, I'm going to call trash on that. But a lot depends on what goes down between the next several weeks. Although I will say this, I don't know too many teams that have won 10 out of their first 14 games to start the season that end up with high draft lottery odds. I will say that. So I don't view them as a seller. I don't think they're going to buy high, but if they're top four or five in the West and the conference is there for the taking, why not? But like you said, though, Josh, I do agree that there will be some moves made. Only question is, will players be coming in or will guys be getting moved out? It might be a little bit of both, but initially we thought it was just going to be a complete fire sale in Salt Lake City under Danny Ainge. Well, Danny Ainge, you never know what you're going to get. He's a finessing king. Man. So you, you never you're know right. what you're going to get. You know, you may get some, a mixture of buy and sell. And your style, you never know. His stock market could be quite looking quite 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 well, considering what the team's looking like now versus where the team's moving forward. So you never know. He he could make that trade, period. Give up much, but depending on how that other team does, they got that lottery pick that could come in handy for the Victor, uh, you know, for the Victor and the Scoot Hendersons of the world in that draft class. You just never know, because you know Danny Ainge is a maestro of what he does. So. I, like you said, I I do think they're going to be much. They're going to be buyers still, but Miles Turner is going to be involved in that. It's going to be someone else that may be younger, maybe can feel more of the of the um, feel more depth per se, and maybe especially when we talk about the perimeter aspect of things. I think you're going to get a lot of that. You know, to keep the team afloat for now, 
prior to them making maybe any other big moves post uh, the draft, at least, considering what happens by the end of the season. Moving on in the third part of the Truth for Trash segment to talk about a player who recently became the first since Michael Jordan to begin the NBA season with 13 straight games of 25 points or more, and that's Kevin Durant. This man continues to stay in trade rumors. I don't know what's going on in Brooklyn, man, but they always in the news, and they just couldn't end the week without being in the news in spite of a great week on the floor, according to an Eastern Conference executive who spoke with NBA inside man Sean Devaney of Heavy Sports. The Sixers remain interested in pursuing all-star forward Kevin Durant from the Brooklyn Nets. Although the number one question is whether the Nets would even bother with considering any offer from Philadelphia in the wake of what transpired a season ago with James Harden, who, as we all know, was dealt away to the Sixers by Brooklyn in exchange for Ben Simmons in an all-star blockbuster swap prior to the conclusion of last year's trade deadline. Josh, are the Nets engaging with the Sixers? And yet another deal prior to the conclusion of the trade deadline for the second straight year. Do you buy this rumor? I'm just going to be blunt. I get into my after Josh speaks his piece. I'm going to say this is trash completely as of now. I can understand the Sixers being interested, but I can't understand the Nets being interested, especially after the week that they just had and after officially locking up Jock Vaughn for the next year or so. I think it was a two-year deal that they gave them. After, you know, that we talked about that last week about whether or not they would do that, they ended up doing that. You buying this woman, bro? <laughs> I had to ask it. I had to ask it, because I laughed at it myself. I caught it on my way to the Bulls game last night. Oh. On Sunday. Yeah, I, 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 can't, I, I don't buy it. The first thing that comes to my mind is the 50 Cent meme. Where he's driving off after he laughs. <laughs> That's me, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you're talking about. <laughs> I'm like, ha, you think? Why would what Brooklyn what does Brooklyn look like after giving away all their picks? Um, Philly, how you doing? Um, I see you're thriving over there. Great. I love I'm glad to see you thriving. You know, with the guy that we <laughs> trained you. Um, they kind of want our picks back. So we'll give you, we'll give you Kevin Durant to make that happen. No. Like, one, you're dumb as hell to think you're going to get rid of your best player like that for draft picks. Nah, that's not. Kevin Durant has officially locked in with you for four years after this season. Ain't no way in hell I'm letting this brother go unless it's that detrimental. That's number one. Number two, Kevin Durant, we heard the saga already. I want traded because of X, Y, and Z and all these other demands and stuff. You know I mean? To be honest with you, we get him what he wants. Okay, he has Kyrie by his side, by his side. Steve Nash, you and a brother, and Jock Vaughn, who he respects, to take over the reins. And now you're winning. Now you're winning basketball games again. Kevin Durant never wanted to leave. He just wanted to say, okay, all right. Now you're making these moves, and I'm getting tired of them. I don't like what y'all doing. Y'all need to get it together. That was just him pulling the pulling their hands. Saying, I'm, if I haven't been involved before, guess what? I'll be involved now because clearly what you're giving me ain't working. That's all that was. He just wanted some, he just wanted a little bit of control. He wanted some love. 
He wanted a little love from the front office, man. That's all that was. Love me enough to be involved. Now that's happening. He ain't going nowhere. He, he signed in for four years for a reason. It, it wasn't just because he, when he could easily go somewhere else and make that much more money somewhere else. He, 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 this is all trash, man. It's trash. The trash is so bad. You can open up the garbage can. You can tell there's some baby dump on top of some other stuff in there. <laughs> That's how trash this thing is, man. Like, uh-uh. He, he, he ain't going nowhere. He loves, from what I hear and have heard, he loves okay. Brooklyn. From what I heard, he's lo- he loves Brooklyn. Never really wants to, didn't really want to leave or anything like that. He's just, he's trying to utilize his power as a star player of a franchise to put the line in check, to keep the front office in line and in check. And that's what um, you're going to have no choice but to listen to what this man does. And clearly it's worked because if he didn't get everything, it's like, it's like Chris Rock at the longest yard. We didn't get the whole chocolate bar, but we did get a Hershey's kiss. <laughs> like they didn't get the, he didn't get the whole chocolate bar. Steve Nash is gone. He says Steve Nash was, or or Sean Marks got to go. One or two got to go. Steve gone. And as you can see, that Hershey kiss is being fulfilled right now as part of that chocolate bar. So I, I he ain't going nowhere. He's perfectly fine. Just wait till Kyrie come back. He'll figure all this mess out. They'll be okay. They'll be all right. Man, I tell you what they've been doing without Kyrie. They've been playing. Some amazing defense as of late. Jock Vaughn got them guys moving their puppy. This is not looking like a team that was dead last in defensive defensive efficiency under Steve Nash. I tell you that much. They they are not looking like that at all. I got a chance to catch them against the Clippers on League Pass when they were in LA this past weekend. And I must say, I, I was impressed with the defensive effort. Edmund Sumner is giving them some quality minutes. Seth Curry. Coming up big time in the fourth quarter, you know, with 15 points to close out the deal and helping Kevin Durant shut it down. Kevin Durant has been amazing on the defensive end. I think he doesn't get enough credit for that. But back on the main topic of truth for trash, I think this is trash on many levels because where do you even begin to do a deal if you're Brooklyn? Of course, if you're the Nets, you want Tyrese Maxey back. And if you're the Sixers, are you really going to give that up, knowing that he's the future guard that you might seek to build around, even should the day come that Joel Embiid wants out of Philly? Not that we've heard anything like that, but we know that in the NBA universe where so much news is being reported over the course of a 24-hour span, you can never be caught off guard by things like that is the, the the association turns, shall I say. But I I I don't I don't buy it. And I know you you know some people you know that's close to within the next organization like a guy that's been familiar with doing shows with us on a war media platform and Brandon Robinson's better known to many as school B. I haven't heard him say anything like that and that's why I wanted to ask you that because I'm like, I, I just, I can't see it, especially when he's still trying to get ingrained with a new head coach in Brooklyn, which, as you said, is what he wanted. And I always found the trade rumors to kind of be the the story that was just holding the offseason by. Like, it was already a relatively dead offseason. We were so concerned about what KD was going to do. But we never, ever heard KD speak publicly 
as much as he was tweeting, he never even tweeted about the fact that, hey, I want out um, from Brooklyn, and yes, this is true. So that's why I never bought it in the first place. I do buy the Sixers' interest in him, though. I buy that a ton because, of course, he has James Harden there. He has Joel Embiid there. Daryl Morey has always wanted to stop Powell's superstar in a quest to capture a championship no matter where he's been. He did it with Houston when he did the backcourt experiments with Chris Paul and James Harden, Russell Westbrook, James Harden, even tried James, pairing James Harden with a big man and Dwight Howard in the midst of his prime. So yeah. he's always been a star hunter, but I just don't see how you make that deal happen. And where do you even start if you're Philly with crafting up a deal, knowing that Brooklyn is going to want Tyrese Maxey in that? And then if you're Brooklyn, it's like you're going to want as many picks as you can get back. And Daryl Morey don't give a damn about draft picks. I know that firsthand just covering many of his teams in Houston. He traded virtually all of them in Houston during the James Harden era. Clint Capella was really like the only first-round draft pick that he ever had. But I, I don't see Brooklyn making that move. If Kevin Durant gets traded, I don't see him getting traded to a team that lies within not only the Eastern Conference but the same division. I just don't see them doing that two straight years. No. You're not just going to help your buddy out, you know, especially a buddy that happens to be a rival. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that 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 ain't happening, man. That's why I just laugh so much at these rumors sometimes, man, because, you know, a, a lot of it, a lot, I will say this, this is probably front office based, like front office, so, you know. They said it's the conference executive. Yeah, it's definitely front office based, but these players know, these players, these players run the league at the end of the day. And Kevin Durant ain't going nowhere unless he says officially, "I want out." And like you said, he had and and all, and, and if he and when he did submit his uh, trade request, it was done in private. No one and and that none of those details and information was really leaked like that. So I'm not buying this, man. I think Kev, I think Kevin Durant wants to stay, and he knows he wants to stay long term because he wants to play with the person that he's playing with right now in Kyrie Irving. That's why they teamed up together. So. I think that, I, I, like I said, I think it's trash. It's definitely some trash, some BS going on around there. You know, if you like trash, then hey, you can you can get it all from this from this rumor because it's 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 all there. Like I don't want to, there's no one to do. It stinks, okay? It stinks. I, I agree with you, but I want to move away from the truth or trash segment, from the gray segment there to going from the East Coast to the West Coast in Los Angeles, talking about the Clippers, who are 7-6 and six through their first 13 games this year on the young NBA season. Kawhi Leonard, recently he was the talking topic between Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce on their Showtime podcast, KG Certified Ticket in the Truth, where Paul Pierce offered a very interesting take questioning why Kawhi's legacy can be mentioned alongside of LeBron and Kevin Durant while avoiding the same criticism as often injured forward and fellow all-star peer Anthony Davis. He made a comment where he was saying that we don't hold Kawhi Leonard accountable. And the reason why I want to talk about this is because, of course, as we know, Kawhi, who starred in the first two games for the Clippers coming off of the bench, has missed the last 
12 games due to nursing a left knee injury. Now, here's a guy who we know he sat out all of last season nursing from a torn ACL that he suffered and signed him off on a massive extension prior to the start of last season. Why do you think we give Kawhi Leonard a pass? Is it because of the fact that he's a two-time NBA champion, a perennial all-star, a guy who was voted as the top 75 player among all NBA players during the league's 75th anniversary season? I'm glad that he actually brought that up. I'm not saying that I agree. But I do find it to be an interesting point because you don't hear a lot of criticism that comes towards Kawhi's way for not playing in the manner that you hear it being thrown onto Anthony Davis as well as Ben Simmons. Do you think we give Kawhi a pass because of his championship resume in spite of guys like Andrew Wiggins having more career points than Kawhi Leonard? I think it's twofold. Um, okay. That is one of the main reasons for sure because of his it's winning it's winning pedigree. Before all those injuries took place, he not only became a two-time champion by winning with the San Antonio Spurs, um, but he also was the he was the Finals MVP of that of that championship as well as the Finals MVP of the Toronto Raptors championship, which is one of the most historical narratives that was un that that no one expected to come from that deal. Um, and then in that offseason, and that's something that the NBA that's, that hasn't been done in the NBA. So, so, I think it's that along with the fact that he is also a two time defensive player of the year award winner. So, you have to consider those factors into play as well. But I also think it's the reason why he doesn't get as much criticism is because of the makeup of the team that he's on. He's playing with Paul George and other NBA stars. And if they're not if they're not all stars, they are very talented role players, which they've always been to the playoffs every time he's been hurt. So it brings the rest to ask much of Kawhi because they already have a team makeup that, for the most part, supplements his injuries until a certain point. Anthony Davis was on a team that was trash. Didn't win anything until Rajon Rondo and DeMarcus Cousins came through in, in New Orleans. And all he knew was that was the only thing he knew from a playoff perspective until the bubble. Then he won his championship. But what has transpired after that? Team hasn't done well. They haven't been back to the promised land. Not, they haven't even sniffed. They barely sniffed Western Conference in round of series, if that. So when you are not just one of the faces of the franchise, but winning has to be attached to your name. Anthony Davis's resume doesn't match up to a Kawhi Leonard. And winning cures all in basketball. I like to play devil's advocate on that. I understand the criticism that Anthony Davis gets. I'm not going to say that some of it isn't warranted. As much as, you know, I, I love Anthony Davis as a player when he's healthy. But Anthony Davis is a champion. He has a ring. Yeah. You know, even though he he had to go through some loops and hurdles, and we've never seen 
Anthony Davis propel teams single-handedly to playoffs outside of, I would say, 2015-16 when the Warriors got swept them? Or was it, it was 2014-15 when they, when they swept them, when they got swept by Golden right. State on, on the run to their first championship that year? Outside of that, we we haven't seen him single-handedly carry a team, but he does have accomplishments. Like he's been to more All-Star games than, than Kawhi. He he's he he's won a championship, not as many. And I, I and don't get me wrong, I, I love Kawhi Leonard, but I do think it's a valid question to ask. And yeah. I, I think we I think we do get we do give him a pass, but I had to ask this question because I recently had a conversation with a friend of mine prior to the conclusion of the 2010s decade. And we were naming our top stars. We would be our all-time starting five for the 2010s. And he was saying, you're going to include Kawhi Leonard over Russell Westbrook, even though Russell Westbrook for three straight years within that decade averaged a triple-double and was an MVP of the league and played close to 80 games a year, if not 75 to 82 games a year, night in, night out. We haven't seen Kawhi do that in the last several years. Now, I understand he's had some injuries and whatnot, but I just, I, I find it very interesting. And even though the Clippers have been successful without Kawhi, if you look at the record of the Clippers since Kawhi and Paul George have played there starting during the 2019-20 season, they have a better record when Kawhi is in the lineup versus when he's out even when it's just Paul George there. And then last year, they technically got to the playoffs, if you consider the play in the playoffs, but they didn't capture the AC in which they finished in. And New Orleans took them out, and we saw how big of an absence Kawhi Leonard is when Paul George was out that game due to catching COVID. So mm -hmm. I, I find it to be an interesting question and a talking point because I I, I I I would like to understand why. I, I know it's because he's a champion, but there have been many champions who have done this. Even LeBron didn't get that flat. Uh, 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 you know, went uh, uh, caught flat, rather. He caught flat for wanting to sit out of game. But Kawhi Leonard, for some odd reason, does not. He's like the undisputed people's champ. When it comes to it, he gets away with it. Yeah, some people attack him for it, but... Not as much. And, and I, I thought Paul Pierce made a, a hell of a point with that, saying we don't hold him accountable for that. It's like we pick and choose. And do you think that the narrative around Kawhi has to do with that, the fact that he's led two different franchises to the NBA championship? Like, we know he'll always be forever indebted to the citizens of Toronto for what he did with the Raptors. But, like, is that really enough? Because when it's all said and done, I think Kawhi Leonard is a top 75 talent. But even in spite of all the accolades he's had and gained in his career to date, like, we, it, I, don't you think it's fair that we can still have some questions? Like, what if? <laughs> oh, yeah, most definitely. I, or should he even be in the top 75? I don't know. <laughs> See that? See now that's a that's a conversation for another day with that one. I'm just I'm just bringing this up because I hope that this engages other people who watch this show to have those discussions amongst themselves. Most but, definitely. But continue on, yeah. Yeah, most definitely. I don't always agree with everything Paul Pierce says, 
mean? I definitely, I definitely don't. He lost, he lost me when he decided to put strippers and booties on his, on his, on his story. That he lost me with that, right? So I can't, I can't look at him and be like, I agree with you on a lot of stuff that he says. However, he got a point with this one. He got a point, and I agree with him. But part of it, to me too, another narrative of it is there's a different expectation when you come to Lakerland. Lakerland, it's all about the championships, yeah. all about the playoff experiences. You are the main team in Tinseltown, Hollywood, baby. Like you are that franchise. You're if you're one of the main stars of that franchise, you are considered to be that guy within the city of Angels. Compared to the Clippers, who's the little brother? They don't know what it's like to win championships. They haven't won anything. They just now started getting really into the playoffs when Kawhi Leonard and Paul George arrived. So, you know, it's it's a it's a it's a thin line of responsibility and what expectations look like when you were certain franchises. And with the fact that Anthony Davis, yes, he fulfilled his duties winning a championship in LA, helping being one of the main pioneers of that with next to the king himself. After that, it's an expectation. You're supposed to win or at least get close to winning every year. That's and true. as Anthony Davis being in his prime, LeBron at that time still being in mostly his prime, with those two together and the right of reinforcements around them, you should be going deep in playoff runs. That's just the reality of what it's like to be a, be a Laker. If you watch the Legacy of the Lakers documentary on Hulu, you will see. Dr. Buss was like that. that. Benny Buss family was like that with every Lakers team, period. Like that's, that's just the expectation of when you were. So it doesn't make it easier on him when you're following the likes of the Kobe Bryants, Magic Johnsons, Criminal Jabars, the Will Chamberlains, Jerry West, Elgin Baylors, you know, Shaq. Those players, that, especially from a big man perspective, you're following their footsteps after when you put on a Lakers uniform expectations are different and now that LeBron is there that's 10 that's like the ultra the that's double the pressure because you got to win while he's there in his prime so I think that that play that narrative plays a role too because okay. people don't look at the Clippers that they do with the Lakers they look at the Lakers as the gods of LA that's true. they look yeah. at the Clippers as, as the little brother you know as the as the little star that's trying to get his shine but he ain't really shining so that the, the Lakers are the galaxy compared to the little star that the Clippers are. And, you know, until the Clippers win and start winning that, that way, it's like knowing what you will see in New York and Manhattan, you know, where the Brooklyn Nets are, they're on the rise. But guess what? Ain't nobody looking at the Nets. That's Knicks Nation over there because of that history. That's a good comparison. So I think it's, this, I think it's the same. Like, that plays a role in that conversation too. I, I don't doubt that is, is the Lakers are more prevalent. And, you know, because of their lineage and history among the L.A. population than the Clippers, as well as nationally as well. But speaking of expectations, what brought about this discussion for Kawhi Leonard was the L.A. Clippers, the team in which he plays for. Seven and six through their first 13 games to start the year. They're within the middle of the pack in the Western Conference playoff picture. This was a team that a lot of us on paper prior to the start of the year expected to be an NBA finals contender. Mm -hmm. It's still early, but considering Kawhi's 
injury history and whether or not he's going to be available consistently on a night-to-night basis. Should we have tempered expectations for this group moving forward? Paul George, we know, is having a hell of a year. Ivica Zubac is averaging double-double numbers in career highs for the first time in his career. He really stepped his game up. Terrence Mann has played fairly solid thus far. Norman Powell has also been solid as well. Prior to them losing to the Nets, I believe they had won four out of their last five games. But should we have tempered expectations for this group and expect them to make it to the NBA Finals, even in spite of the addition of John Wall with Paul George with a Kawhi Leonard who we don't know whether or not he's going to be available. Now, what we do know is that he's been cleared to play five on five and that he has been. And that sooner rather than later, he is being projected to return very soon, according to Tyron Lue and the medical staff that's part of the Clippers organization. I think it depends on various on that knee. It depends on his health overall and how often he can play. Because technically, if you're the Clippers, you don't need him right now. You really need him for when playoff time comes around. So as long as you can keep him somewhat healthy until the playoffs come, yeah, they'll be they'll be straight. So I still view them as a as a as not a, a complete lock-in, but a contender per se for the NBA finals, most definitely. And a lot of it has to do with obviously the emergence of Paul George and the and the and the, and the year that he's having. But, but you are the deepest team in this league. You have Robert, you have Norman Powell, you have Robert Covington, you got Nicholas Batum, you got Marcus Morris. You have, you know, like you said, Zubak. And John even that point, John, and that point guard, John Wall, to go with Reggie Jackson, along with Terrence Mann. You have one of the deepest lineups from rock from one to 15, if not the deepest in the league. This is why you got those players, because you know Kawhi Leonard may be problematic during the season from a health perspective. You can't trust that Kawhi Leonard is going to be playing all year, all, all year long, and then expecting to play all those games in the playoffs. You prepared for this by bringing those reinforcements. So, yeah, I expect them to still be NBA favorites because they have the depth to, to, to at least carry them to the to the hump. And as long as Kawhi Leonard can stay healthy, he can he has proven he can take a franchise home. That's true. But how long do we continue to give him that benefit of the doubt, considering the fact that it's been three seasons now since he's reached the Mount Olympics? of the NBA world. Like, I I, I, I have to ask that question because mm-hmm. it's not like when he was coming off of the injury in San Antonio going to Toronto via trade and he was a part of a team that was close many years, you know, previously where the only threat to them was Cleveland, who owned them. But once, you know, LeBron left that picture, they had a shot in a wide open Eastern Conference. And that team was ready for that. Like they had guys with playoff experience. Not to say that these guys don't. They're battle tested. But in a Western Conference where matchups, just like in the Eastern, in playoffs in general, all of it comes down to matchups. Don't you think that's a that's a huge risk? Like at some point, Kawhi's gonna have to come and play because if you're not careful, you're gonna mess around. And, and be in a position 
or a situation where you might find yourself in a playing round for the second straight year in a row. And I don't think that's what Tyron Lue and Paul George and Kawhi Leonard want to be. I understand, you know, that getting a top three seed may not be the most important, but you definitely want to finish in that top six. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you on that. And honestly, we talk about a criticism perspective. Yeah, time, time's ticking. Especially since, me personally, I don't see at this rate, I don't see him outlasting the contract he got now. If he doesn't, if, after this contract, he might be done. So you need to take every ounce you can out of Kawhi Leonard while the window is still open to win. And honestly, this is the best year to do it. Because you got the because you got the deep the best bench along with arguably the one of the best starting five lineups in the league to get it done. So with Golden State tripping, with you know, and, and, and other teams that aren't fulfilling the best roles right now, but you can expect them to slip maybe down the line. The Clippers is the one team that can emerge and take that top three seed and keep things moving. But like you said, in order for that to happen. Regular season, not tripping too much over. As long as Paul George can stay healthy. Everybody else, I think we can work with. But at least by all-star break, going into the playoff, I better see Kawhi Leonard playing every night and getting that camaraderie and getting back to the getting back to the flow of things with the team. Because this offseason, when it comes to the playoffs and trying to win that championship, that's a path that only he knows what it's like to get there. And no one else outside of Ty Lewis, your head coach, knows how to get there. So he's going to be needed to help get this team over the hump. And that's the only way it can be done is if he's up front. Good point, good point. Want to move on, though, as we get to the closing minutes of our show. What games should people have their eyes on the lookout for going forward the rest of this week from Wednesday onward. Man, this is, you just never know with this league, man. There's just so much to this is so I'm glad you brought that up. Cause oh just real quick, I just want to point out like there are currently 10 teams that are either 500, a game above 500, or a game below 500 entering this week, which is week five of the NBA season, is we get into the in this recording right now. For sure, man. I think for me, though, one game that I do want to check out, the Brooklyn Nets against the Trailblazers on Thursday. Okay. I want to see I want, I want to see Kevin Durant score off against Damian Lillard. And we haven't talked about much about the Trailblazers. They're the number one team in the Western Conference right now. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. Like, uh, D, D. Lil has been on a tear. He's on a run. He's on a roll for that MVP running. This season, he's gunning for it, and he's showing it by the way this team is playing right now. And with Brooklyn Net, the Brooklyn Nets playing as good as they are currently under that new leadership and direction of Jock Vaughn, Kevin Durant at the level he's playing against Damian Lillard is going to be prime time basketball to watch, man. I agree. I, I like the way Brooklyn's looking right now. Portland, I got to give it to them. I thought that they were tricking us during the trick or treat segment when we talked about teams that were off the high start. That defense is looking somewhat legitimate. Jeremy Grant's looking like a three-level score, solid number three option. Getting buckets in isolation right now. Shaden Sharp has been a, a nice contributor off of the bench, even starting in some games for a team that hasn't had Dane 
in action for five games early in the year to st- to be where they are right now, I got to tip my cap to him. Chauncey Bills is doing a hell of a job. But I got the yeah, game. Yeah, the <laughs> I got. I, I might have to because you, you call. <laughs> I, I should have doubted, but and Simon's has been shooting the hell out the basketball as well. Kudos to him. But I'm gonna go with is for the games of the week. I got a different game every day. Wednesday, Cleveland and Milwaukee. Cavs have lost four straight after getting out to a hot start. Bucks might be without Grayson Allen, Drew Holiday, and Giannis due to nursing non-COVID illness, sprained ankle injuries and a wrist ligament injury. But as long as Giannis, who's been battling through left knee soreness, is able to go, I think that's going to be a big-time matchup. That was a game that I had circled for us to watch a couple weeks ago. I have forgot about it. That's a game that I think people need to have their eyes on. We're going to learn a lot about Cleveland. How do you know How do you know whether or not they for real and if they're able to respond well to adversity in a big-time environment like that, Pfizer form, you know it'll be rocking. On Thursday, I'm going to go with San Antonio and Sacramento. Kings have won six out their last eight. Entering the week as of this recording, De'Aaron Fox has been on a tear in clutch scoring, shooting 64% from the floor, 57% from three-point land, hasn't even missed a free throw in that span as well. He's on pace to join Oscar Robinson is the only player in Kings history to average 25 points, five assists, and five rebounds in a single season. That's exclusive company to be with the, the big O out in Sacramento. Sabonis is playing well. Kevin Herter has been a hell of an addition. Keegan Murray has been a man amongst boys for his rookie season. Slowly but surely finding his foot in the league. Mike Brown doing a hell of a job coaching this group. And last but not least, Friday night, OKC at Memphis. The battle of the backcourts. Josh Giddy and Shea Gilgis Alexander going toe-to-toe against John Morant and Desmond Bain. I see three all-stars on this floor that I just named. One of them, if not two of them, probably going to be fighting for an all-star spot. This might be the game where we look back on to see whether or not an all-star spot was determined off of this game. I I just think that this is going to be a a fun matchup. You seeing two young dynamic backcourts in two teams that you know are going to compete at a a great level. That should make it a a nice action-packed game on a Friday night in Bill Street. If you out there, go check that out. You already know I love my Bill Street, man. You already know. <laughs> love Bill Street. I'm going to be there. As a matter of fact, I'm going to be on Bill Street next month. I will okay. be on Bill Street next month. So best <laughs> believe, Bill Street, anyone from the Memphis area that's listening to this show, y'all better make sure y'all go show, y'all take me to the right barbecue spots. It's about to get real, baby. I, I, I'm, coming, I'm coming to your city. I'm coming to your hood. Oh, for sure. Make sure if you're in that Memphis area, you 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 privy to what's going on with War Media that you check out all of our latest shows. If you're a Bears fan, check out the pre and post game shows hosted by Saul Rodriguez, who's also our producer, been doing a hell of a job. Make sure to check out the Ed Bat podcast featuring Saul Rodriguez and Miles Porter. Just recently had an episode where you might see a familiar face on there talking about some baseball <laughs> topics, sharing our thoughts on AL, NL, MVP recapping the World Series and so forth. Got a lot of hot stove topics that'll be set to take place and news. We'll be on top of that. So much to cover here. Make sure you're following us on Open Run as well. You know where to find us on social media. For myself, Gabriel Wilkins, my man, Josh Hicks. So long, everybody. <laughs>